got a great worship team, don't we? Uh, just so you know that uh, there'll be some, hopefully, some changes. John's working on putting some new speakers up this week. Not John. John's the only mechanical engineer I know that's not mechanical. And not really. <laughs> so somebody's going to come in and put some speakers. Hopefully, it'll fix the sound for some of you where it's too loud. I get it, but just, you know... Be patient with us, right? Uh, it's interesting because I told you last week about my falling, right? And, uh, and so I thought the story was over, and then I went into Walgreens this week, and this guy's waving at me. I'm thinking, who's that guy? And he walks up to me and goes, I'm, don't you remember me from Jewel? I'm going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Can't get rid of this guy, right? It was funny. I said, I'm trying to forget that. He started laughing. It was pretty funny, though. You know? So last week, I want to pick up where Pastor Jason uh, left off. He kind of gave, I love his first point where he talked about all of this when we're talking about the Beatitudes. All of it begins with who you are and not what you do. And he emphasizes this is about the inward character, right? Makes sense because, you know, it's, it's about who you are, not what you do. That's why we're called human beings, not human doings, right? It's about the, the great question from the great theologian Shakespeare was to be or not to be. That is the question. In other words, to be who God wants you to be, or to be who you want to be, or to be who the world wants you to be. It's a great question, right? Because it's something we all have to struggle with, and we all have to sort of wrestle with, because the beauty of the Beatitudes, it gives us the characteristics, characteristics of a kingdom maker but it also at the same time gives us the benefits of those characteristics, right? I love how it starts off. It always says, blessed are. In other words, it starts off with, it's a good thing if you're this way, right? Blessed are those who, whatever you put in here in these nine or ten characteristics, and then it gives you the benefit of having that characteristic or embodying it in your life and being that to the world all around you. That's kind of cool. God say, hey, be this way, and guess what? Here's the blessing of being that way, and he starts off with the blessing. Happy are those. Favored are those. To me, it's a cool thing. To me, it's designed to settle up the articles in agreement between God and man, right? When you look at it, the scope of divine revelations that lets us know what God expects from us, and in doing so, what we can expect from him. It's kind of an equation that kind of works in our favor, to me, I think these words are fully set forth in this Sermon on the Mount, and they, this exact reference to one another is that, that the gospel is required for those who believe to come to conformity to these characteristics and the dependence on the promises that come with them. I mean, that's the beauty of it. We don't do it for those, but that's the benefit of being what God wants us to be because he created us. He knows what's best for us. The fundamental question that we have to ask ourselves if we go through this series and we read the Sermon on the Mount is faced with is, whose approval do you seek? God's? Yours? Your spouse's? Your mom and dad's? Your boss's? Whose approval do you seek? See, the problem is that in our current culture, sometimes we lose context, and it's going to get worse and worse with what biblical words really mean. Let me give you a precept. 
If you want to know what a word in the Bible means, look it up in some form of the Bible dictionary, right? Don't go to Webster. Here's what Webster says meekness is. Overly submissive or compliant, spiritless, tame, weak. Do you think that's the biblical meaning of meekness? Meekness does not equal weakness. You know how I know that? Because the Bible references Jesus as meek, and I don't think he was weak. Matthew says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I love that, right? He, he recognizes that we have to learn sometimes that blessed are the meek. For I'm gentle. The word gentle is translated in many uh, uh, translations as meek. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. To me, that's strength. And that's for us. To me, Moses was a, a great lawgiver, and he's described as being meek. This is Moses who went before Pharaoh, who parted the Red Sea, who command God's you know, uh, curses on the nation of, of Egypt, who sprung forth water from the rock, who led God's people, a stiff-necked people, for 40 years in the desert. That's not weakness. That's strength. But Numbers says this, Numbers 12, 3, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. In other words, he was the meekest man that walked on the face of the earth. Moses was strong. Moses was a leader. So I don't think meekness is weakness. I don't think it's overly submissive or compliant or spiritless or tame. Biblical meekness is not weakness. And really when you look at it, it really means the exercising of God's strength under control. In other words, demonstrating power without undue harshness. The English term meek often lacks the blend of the word gentleness, which is partly why it's translated that in some translations, but also combined with the word strength, reserved strength. To me, I think we can see that meekness doesn't mean weakness, but rather a characteristic altogether different. Now, I think when you look at the, um, the passage that we have here, it's written in the Greek, so in order to really understand the context of that word, it helps to go back to how other word, that word was translated in other applications during that time period, right? So that word is prowess, right? And so it, it kind of gives you a, kind of a different meaning when you say it in the Greek. And it really means something altogether different. It means really power under control. And it was often used by Greeks to describe the trained, obedient horse that went into battle. I mean, think about it. They have to train these horses to go into battle. Some horses weigh 1,000 pounds. They move out over 35 miles an hour, and they have to be ready to address the command of the rider or master at any given point in time, no matter what's going on in the midst of a battle. It's in some intense situation, they have to be firmly obedient, unconditionally obedient to the nudge, the hand, the knee, the kick, or the reins of the master, if 
they're going to survive. See, that's the word they used for meekness, to describe that. Can you imagine? Think about that. For the rider and the animal to survive, they had to become one under the authority of the rider. Now take that with us. We have to be under the authority of the master to enjoy the blessings of this life, do we not? In fact, in the Bible, it talks about our, our nature, and it describes it as a wild animal at times, right? Now, I'm going to talk about something, and I'm going to make a lot of people mad when I talk about it this morning. I don't mean to. If you don't like what I say, just say, Pastor Mike, he's just out there. But I believe that this is best illustrated by looking at cats and dogs. I think dogs are of God. I think cats are from another place. <laughs> Let me tell you why. Be patient with me for a second. I know there's a lot of cat lovers in here. But think about it. When you come home, if you've got a dog, i got a dog. When I come home and I'm coming to that door, that dog is at the door. When I open the door, his tail's wagging. He's going, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. I miss you. I miss you. I miss you. See, a cat... When you open the door, it's there to make sure they want to see who's there. But when a cat looks, it looks like, oh, you're home. <laughs> right? And the dog, you can teach him some tricks and give him a little treat, and he's happy. When you go to a cat and you say, hey, listen, I'm going to teach you a treat, they're going to say, you want me to do what for that? <laughs> All right? And here's a biblical example, because I know it's in the Bible, it's true. Here's a dog, you know, when a dog eats and does something that upsets him, He'll throw up. It's kind of gross. But as an owner, if you wait for a little while, he'll think, hey, I threw up. And he'll come back and he'll eat it, right? <laughs> it's gross. Proverbs says that about our sin. We go back and forth to our sin like a dog goes to its vomit, right? Now, a cat, it makes a big production out of this, right? It's <laughs> And then it's looking at you while it's right about to throw up, like, I'm going to do this, whether you like it or not. And then it throws up, and it turns around and goes, can you clean that up? <laughs> right? There's a difference between dogs and cats. It just is. To me, it's about, that's about our untamed passion of our own life. We are bent on being selfish and self-centered. It takes the word of God to come into our life to give us the recognition is that when we're that way, we're not going to get fulfillment in life. We're not going to experience all that God has for us. We've got to take on the characteristics of what Jesus was and be that in the world to experience all the goodness of God. It's kind of interesting. So when I look at it, is what does it really look like to be meek? What is the practical application for this? And I think it's this. The meek are those who keep God's way. The reason why I know that, that this passage that we get, that the meek shall inherit the earth, and I apologize for the notes. I just got into some things yesterday, and I thought, man, I should have had that in the notes. I should have had that in my PowerPoint. Just, that's why that little section is with all those lines. Fill it in if you want. But here's what it says. You've you, you got to parallel the passage that Jesus is pulling from. Because here's the thing. Jesus didn't invent anything new when he came. He took what was old. When you look at your Bible, your Bible is, you know, 75% Old Testament. Of the 25% that's the New Testament, almost half of that is Old Testament. 
And my dad used to say to me, oh, I'm a New Testament Christian. I said, well, you can't be a New Testament Christian unless you're an Old Testament Christian. They work together. You can't have one without the other, right? So Jesus is pulling from Psalm 37, the same phrase is in there, the meek shall, uh, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. But in, in, in verse 37 in Psalm 37, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, good homework for you to do. It says first, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Isn't that cool? You know, in other words, the meek trust in God, they commit their way to them, and they wait on God to act. They're willing to follow his way. How do we follow his way in meekness? Scripturally, pretty easy. The first is we receive his word with meekness. You get that? We receive his word with meekness. How do I know that? Because James talks about it in James chapter 1, and here's what he says. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Right? Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Isn't that cool? Receive the word of God. I think that exercising strength under control is saying, I can give up what I think in order to adhere to what the Bible thinks is best for me. It's a tough thing for all of us, right? To me, when you think about it, faith is the conformity to these characteristics and a dependence on its promises. I want you to think about that for a minute when it comes to God's word. And here's the thing I noticed this week uh, for me is when I sin, I know you're all thinking, oh, Pastor Mike sins? No, I'm just kidding. But when I sin, I can desensitize myself to the result of that sin in my life because I'm the best salesman for selling me on things I shouldn't do or ways I shouldn't think. But you know what I found this week is that when I was in the Word of God and the Word of God hit me, about an area in my life, it took away all pretense and all deception out of my mind and it cut me to the quick. Let me tell you something. The word of God, when it penetrates and, it, and, and you read it and it just speaks to your heart, let me tell you something. It's a pain that is hard, but it's good. You know, God speaks truth in our life, not to bring guilt, but the Holy Spirit uses it to bring conviction. Sin, our own folly, brings guilt, and that leads to nothing. But conviction of the soul by the Spirit of God through his word brings about repentance. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time the word of God brought you to your knees over the way you think or the things you do or who you are because you're not being who God wants you to be. When's the last time you've asked yourself that question? For me, it brought me to tears. As I read this word this week, I went, oh my gosh, why am I this way? Lord, help me. I don't want to be under this 
word like this help me in my weakness? We're all weak. We all have issues, and the question for us is, that's why I think Hebrews says, for the word of God is living and active, it piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit. The word of God is powerful, and it's not working powerfully in your life. It's not because of the word. It's because of the receiver of the word. Are we reading just to read, to, to do our thing? to do our devotion, or am I reading to be under the conviction of the truth that transforms? Why do I go to the book? Out of guilt or out of dependence for how to set my mind right for the day ahead? To me, I think that we have to understand that when the Lord asks this question, it's impossible to think and respond properly because when the Lord speaks directly to us, the pain should be intense, a weird intense, good and, and difficult at the same time. It should cause such a tremendous hurt that any part of our life which may be out of line with his will, we can feel the pain of that. Pain that motivates us to change and to do something different. There's never any mistaking the pain of the Lord's word by his children, but the moment the pain is felt is the very moment in which God truly reveals his inspired truth to us. And there's nothing like that. There's nothing like that. So to me, in order to be someone who can follow God's way, we first, and I think it's threefold, we first have to follow his word. But then we also have to submit to his will. Now, you're probably thinking, well, wait a minute. When we follow the word, aren't we submitting to his will? Yes, but there's a lot of areas where his word doesn't cover it, right? What job you should take, what thing you should do. Should we merge or should we not merge? That's not in the Bible anywhere, right? How do we submit to God's word? The first thing is looking at that word. It's sort of like, it's, it's, it's submission is mission, under something and a lot of us live on mission for ourselves and we're not willing to put ourselves under the authority under the word of God for him it's tough for some people to take God's word regardless of what the world says and submit to that truth I remember when I first came here one of the first messages I preached was on was on uh, modesty right and when I preached on that I Jason said, hey, somebody was kind of upset with your message, and I smiled and I laughed. Because you know what? It's not an issue with my message. It's an issue with God's word. See, a church that preaches God's truth is a dangerous place to be. You know why? Because you're held accountable for what you hear. And let me tell you something. I can tell you, I read the word a bunch of times where I'm going, what's up with that? I don't know about that. And I'm really good at kind of rationalizing some things, right? You know, you know I think it's, it's, it's the word of God is meant to break us of ourselves, to stay the hand of our own will and submit to God's will. It happens every day, every week when we come to giving, right? Am I, is this my money or is it God's money? To service, is this God's will or my will? What am I doing? Who am I 
to be or not to be? That is the question. To be what God calls me to be. In that same passage in Psalm 37, 34, wait for the Lord, keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land, and you will look on the wicked are cut off. To me, man, meeting this enables us to be led by the Spirit of God, to submit my will for his way, because it's the best way. I also think as you go through it, the other characteristics, somebody who's meek is, the meek are those who wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not on yourself over one's prosperity in his or her way, over... Over, over the man who carries out evil desires. Psalm 37, 34, wait for the Lord, keep his way, and he will exalt you, right? Wait on the Lord. It's tough for a lot of us to wait on the Lord. Meek people commit their way to the Lord. The Hebrew word for commit there really means to roll. It's to roll over onto to someone else. In other words, I'm going to roll this over on the, to, to the Lord, I'm going to commit my way to his way. Meek people have discovered that God is trustworthy so they can roll over their concerns, they can roll over their circumstances, they can roll over their their questions, their doubt, whatever it may be. They can roll those things over because God is big enough to handle all those things. To me, it's interesting that meekness begins when we put our trust In God, A.W. Tozer said this, Jesus calls us to his rest, and meekness is his method. The man cares not at all who is greater than he, for he he has long ago decided that the esteem of the world is not worth the effort. The rest Christ offers is rest of meekness, the blessed relief which comes when we accept ourselves for what we are and cease to pretend It will take some courage at first, but the needed grace will come as we learn that we are sharing in this new and easy yoke with a strong son of God. To me, waiting on the Lord. I think it's summed up every time we we sing it as well with my soul. Horatio Spafford lost his kids, and yet he's able to sing it as well with my soul. He waited on the Lord to bless and heal and work with him. He was willing to wait on the Lord. I'm going to give you an example. I think that's close to home. Is, is when we were doing the merge and we were going through it, it was difficult. I mean, it was really difficult. And uh, there was no, it was not easy by any means, right? And I, and I know from my perspective, and I know in Jason's perspective, there were some that weren't for it. And there were some that just weren't happy about it, quite frankly. And... I struggled with that, and, as I, and I, as I sat to sort of work it through in my life, I just said, okay, I'm just going to have to trust God and wait on God for this whole thing. One of the greatest blessings of my life was not too long ago, a couple months ago, um, uh, Sheila Edgar uh, had a tough time with the merge, and I get it. You know, it, you're shaking what they've been living for so many years and that comfortability that was going on, and so... Uh, but she was good, you know, with me about it, you know, but I knew. And when Ron had his last surgery, I went over to his house, and I went upstairs, and I talked to Ron a little bit, seeing how he's doing. And as I was leaving, I was walking out, and I was downstairs with Sheila, and Sheila says, Pastor Mike, can I talk to you? 
I think I've shared this once before. I, I don't even know if I told Ron. And I said, sure. And she said, can I say something? And I said, sure. And she goes, you know what? I want to apologize to you. And I said, Sheila, for what? And she goes, you know what? I just want to tell you that I didn't see what God was doing. I didn't see your vision, God's vision for what we were doing because I didn't want to. But God has revealed some things to me, and I just want to tell you I'm sorry. Man, I was just blown away by that. It made me feel awesome. Because sometimes you just got to wait on God to work in people's hearts. I know that's been for me. There's sometimes I was on the wrong side of some issues, and I'm thankful for the people who were patient with me to wait for me to come around and think, hey, Mike, you, you blew it. Let me tell you something. I think if we would wait more on God in our lives, on decisions with people, life would be so different, wouldn't it? If we all displayed a meekness with one another on issues of offense, it would be amazing what God does, right? I mean, think about how it all comes together. The Bible says, hey, when you got something against your brother, leave your gift at the altar. Go, work it out. Don't go tell someone else. Go to that person and work it out. And if they don't listen to you, Matthew 18, right? Take someone else. I think this process of giving people time to think things through is so vital, so important. Sometimes we have to learn to wait. We're impatient. We're Americans. We're impatient. We want it today. But God says sometimes we just have to wait. To me, I think the third one, and this is a big one, the meek are, are those who are gentle, not fretting over the wicked. I mean, we have to think about how the Beatitudes tie together, Right? And so, and I think it gets implied here that meekness are those who realize that they're spiritually bankrupt. Like Jason talked about, poor in spirit. They've mourned over their sin that led to bankruptcy, and they're ready to exercise God's strength under his control. They're ready to stay the hand on their own way they think in their own mind, and they're ready to move forward. James says this, but the wisdom from above is first pure, James 3.17, then peaceable, meek, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. We can be gentle. Galatians 6.1 says, Hey, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transaction, you are a spiritual. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness, meekness. No hammers here. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see that? Bear each other's burdens. Are you bearing anybody's burdens? Are you bearing your own angst with people? It's amazing sometimes. I, over the years, there's many people who weren't happy with me. And it's amazing how they show it to me. They give me a look of disgust. They give me a look of dis, dissatisfaction. They never say anything to me, but they just make sure I know that they're not happy with me. And I gotta tell you, Meekness says you don't respond to that. In the flesh, you want to. Meekness says sometimes I've got to be able to let somebody be frustrated or in the situation they're in, they're going to have to work it out themselves. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I have to be gentle in my spirit. It's amazing because when you look in, in Scripture, there's all kinds of examples of this. Remember in, in, in when I read the passage about Numbers 12 where it talks about Mochus being the meekest guy? It's in the context of the story of his brother and sister coming against them before God. 
And they said, hey, God speaks to us too. You're the leader, but God speaks to us too. We should be able to lead. And there's this little power struggle. And God steps in and goes, he's my guy. And then he strickens Miriam with leprosy. And Aaron goes before him and says, oh, man, please, don't, don't, don't judge us for our stupidity, so to speak. And Moses prays and says, Lord. And he says, okay, seven days shall be this way outside the camp. Moses, it came against him. It came against who he was and what he's done. And what does he do? He's praying for them. He's interceding for them before God. How about David, who's described as meek? David, who's the, 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 the greatest military man in Israel's history. And he, he builds his kingdom, doesn't really manage his family that well, and his son comes against him. And Absalom takes the city. And when he's leaving the city and fleeing through the city, he's walking, and someone from the, from the family of Saul named Shimei starts cursing him and going against him from the side of the mountain and cursing him and cursing and cursing. And you know what? David's men says this to him. It says, Then Abishai, the son of Zeru, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and take off his head. Haven't you wanted to do that sometimes? In love. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone? Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and the Lord will repay me good for his cursing today. It's meekness. David could have sent one guy over there to take him out and solve the problem. But David said, hey, I'm going to be gentle with God's people and trust the Lord for the situation. Paul. He did the same thing in Paul when he was dealing with the thorn in his side. In Corinthians 12, it says, Christ then, I'm I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. This is the last time you told yourself that when you're under somebody's criticism or somebody's, you know, anger or just stuff. I look at it when the church is embodied in meekness. To me, it's embodied in what we see in, 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 in uh, uh, Ephesians. In Ephesians 20, it says, giving thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're just coming out of this great worship time like we did today. And as, as the people of God come together and humble themselves for one another, and then it goes on to say, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Understand one another. It's not always easy. Let me tell you something. The merger, not easy. If you think it's easy for me, Jason, and John, three guys, you know, Jason doing what he was doing for 12 years by himself, me and John being two guys working together, we, God had to work the situation to put us in a situation to want to come together. But now we're together, we're learning a lot what meekness is. Right? Jason's been doing it a long time in his prime, 40 years old, physical, you know, a younger guy. I'm a, a little older guy, a little bit more mature, got different experiences. He's got his opinion. I got my opinion. We're two A leaders. 
John's the meek one. He sits by and listens to us go at it all the time. (laughs) But you know what? It's good. Because he's not in it for him. I'm not in it for me. John's in it to watch us, but that's a different subject. (laughs) But we're struggling. We work together, and we work to, to, to really hone a relationship for Christ and his body. And we want to do it gently, and we want to do it with meekness. Pray for us. Understand us. Understand we don't have it all together. We got some things we can improve on, communication and some other things, and we're working on all that. The sound, it's working. To me, I think when we look at that, the last thing is, and I want to finish with this because I think it's awesome. The meek are faithfully blessed by God. That's the awesome thing about doing it, right? Man, let go of the anger. Let go of the bitterness. I love what Charles Spurgeon said, and it came to this subject, and I think it should be gospel. She says this, meekness is five words. Humble, gentle, patient, forgiving, and content. That's meekness for Charles Spurgeon. And he says, when you embody those things, guess what it takes care of? It takes care of five things. It sort of stays the hand. It gets you to submit so that you don't have to deal with pride, harshness, anger, vengeance, and ambition. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I wish I could think like that. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, the cost of discipleship, the renewal of the earth begins at Golgotha, where the meek one died, and from thence it will be spread. When the kingdom finally comes, the meek shall possess the earth. The phrase inherit the earth is a figure of speech to indicate possession of giving things to the faithful, blessings to the faithful, blessings to those who embody the characteristics of what a kingdom maker is. A kingdom maker enjoys the blessing of the king. I'm going to say that Tozier said this, the meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his own moral life as bold as a lion, as strong as Samson, but he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life, poor in spirit. He knows he is weak and helpless, and God has declared him to be, but paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he's in the sight of God more important than the angels. He in himself is nothing. Him in Christ, he's everything. You hear that? That's the motto of the meek. In ourselves, we are nothing, but in God, meekness, exercising God's strength under control, we are everything that God wants us to be. The question is, to be or not to be? Who will you choose to be? Who are you choosing to follow? Will you submit to the word of God? Will you submit to his will? Will you patiently wait on him? Will you be gentle with God's people who may not be gentle with you? And last but not least, when you are, you'll reap the blessings of a good and gracious God. Amen? Today, man, if you're here today, you've never, ever, ever asked Jesus Christ in your life. Never realize that you're a 
a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, that gift is free. That's the beauty of Christ. It's free. And all you got to do is right where you sit, just ask God to come into your life and say, Lord, take away my sin by the blood of Calvary. Cleanse me. Send your Holy Spirit into my heart and through the power of his leading and the power of your word, help me to live a life that's honoring to you. The prayer doesn't save you. It's faith in what Jesus did for you that saves you. We're going to sing in a little bit. If that's where you're at, pray that prayer. Come talk to me afterwards. You don't have to come up front. If you want to, I'm up here. That's cool. But if you're someone here today who really hasn't really let the word of God saturate your heart and your mind in a long time in a way that's really meaningful, that's cut you to the core, man, that's what the altar of grace is all about. That's what the power of the word is all about. That's what God wants from each and every one of us. And he's saying, hey, look, I know it could be hard. I know submitting here could be hard. I know that teaching is tough. Jesus said it when he was talking about, you know, my body and my blood. And then people said, that's hard teaching. And they walked away. He didn't run after them. He let the word of God work in their lives. And so should we. Let us be meek with one another. But let us first submit to his word, his will, and his people. That's what God wants from us all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your truth. We thank you, Lord, for the taming of your Holy Spirit that guides us and leads us, Lord, in all righteousness. And Lord, not just for our good, but for your glory, and most important, Lord, the goodness that you show us. You said, take my yoke upon you and that you will learn from you. Help us to learn. <clears throat> Help us not to be ashamed. Help us not to be prideful. Help us, Lord, to exercise power under your authority to tame our nature, to tame our bad thoughts, to tame the things that we think. We all have struggles. We all have sometimes this fight back and forth with what you say and what we want to do how we want to live. Lord, give us grace. Give us the ability to learn in a way, Lord, that leads to growth and holiness. In your precious name I pray, Jesus, amen.